Well, good morning. Welcome to everybody who is joining us here on site and those who are joining us online as well. Happy Thanksgiving to you all. And uh, if you are joining us online, I encourage you just to chat in the, uh, in the chat box there. Say happy Thanksgiving or, or share something that you are thankful for today as we gather together for that purpose. Uh, we are thankful that you have all joined us here this morning. And I know there are many people who are traveling. There's many people who have traveled to us as well. And it's just wonderful to see you all here. We, of course, have much to be thankful for. And we don't necessarily need a specific day for that. We can be thankful every day when we reflect upon the blessings of God that he's given to us. But it is good for us to come together to pause and to reflect, and on a particular day such as this, to do so. And it leads our minds to a place where we can think of all the blessings God's given us. In fact, we did that this past week at staff meeting. We paused for a few minutes to think of what are the things that we are thankful for. And probably like many people here, we're thankful for the weather. This has been an amazing fall so far. I can keep camping and, and, and canoeing and kayaking. People have been going hiking. I was able to go golfing on Friday with my son. That was wonderful to do that. Uh, we're thankful for birthdays. We had a birthday on staff this past week, so we reflected upon being thankful for cake. Right? Of course, and the person who was having the birthday as well. But, you know, but cake came up first for some reason. And, and then celebrations, and then that person was thankful that they are perpetually 29 for the fifth time. They're, they're struggling with something there, I guess. Uh, we also said we were thankful for our church family, and that was so genuine and true. We are thankful for the welcoming spirit that exists within this congregation, the, the unity we've experienced throughout COVID, the, the prayer warriors that exist within this church. The fact that we're growing numerically, we're growing spiritually, and, and reflecting upon all these things, one person on staff just said, I, I'm just so thankful for my job, and I, I think they were sucking up a little bit, because they asked for some time off afterwards, but I, I, I'm, not, I'm not sure, I, I, I want to take that as, at face value. And then we were thankful for food as well, and everyone disagreed, uh-huh, yeah, food across the board, and then got down to types of food, like, like cheesecake, and it, it quickly went to like today's food, right, like, like turkey, mashed potatoes, and, and of course I had to throw in sour gummies, because that is, as we know, one of my favorite things. And then we thought, you know, tomorrow we're all going to be thankful for the gym, because we can have all this wonderful food today and head to the gym tomorrow. You know, Psalm 107 reminds us about these things. Psalm 107 begins by saying, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. And then it continues in verse 2 by saying, let the redeemed of the Lord let those people who identify as being followers of Jesus Christ, let the redeemed of the Lord tell their stories. And that's what we were doing. When we pause and we reflect upon what we're thankful for and we give praise and glory to God for those things, we as the redeemed of the Lord are pausing to tell our stories. And I hope you will find time this weekend, whether individually or collectively in your homes, find time to share your story. Share your story of thanksgiving with somebody and especially with God as we give glory to God for all the blessings we have in our lives. Amen? Amen. I hope we'll find time to do that. Well, today we have an opportunity to conclude our sermon series we've been going through this fall called Leading Questions. And if, if you're first time with us, perhaps what we're talking about here is unpacking some of the very first questions that select characters in the Bible ask, the, the first questions that they ever asked in the Bible. Uh, how has this series been? Have we enjoyed this one? Good. Thank you. Thank you for that. I, I've really enjoyed putting it together for us as we launch this series. And so there's a test. If you enjoyed it, you can hopefully do well in the test now. Right? First week, we talked about the very first question God asked. Who knows what that was? Where are you? Right? Adam and Eve, after they sinned in the garden, God comes to them. Where are you? Not to bring condemnation to them, but to bring 
order to the chaos that has crept into their lives through sin. And then we talked the next week about the first question Jesus asked. This one was a little bit tough. Remember this one? Why were you looking for me? I was looking to Phil because Phil's like my answer guy here. Next one, Phil, is yours. Right. <laughs> Why were you looking for me as we talked about the motivation? What is the motivation that brings you to church? Why did, what was the motivation to sign on to West Meadows at Home this morning? And whatever that motivation is, what are we looking to Jesus for? And what would that next step with him in my life look like? And then we looked at the very first question that Satan asked. Did God really say right as he brings doubt? into our lives. He tries to bring doubt into our relationship between us and God by tempting us with tempting us with momentary pleasures that will steal our greatest treasure and that being our relationship with God. And then last week we talked about the first question a man, a person asks. Remember what that one was? Am I my brother's keeper? And the answer is yes. <laughs> yes, we are to be our brothers and our sisters keepers. We wrap up today with a final question. And we're going to do something a little bit different today. We're going to end today with the Apostle Paul. But before we look at his leading question, the first question the Apostle Paul asked, we're going to begin by considering the most fitting question. The most fitting question for Thanksgiving that Paul asked. And it's found in Romans 8, verse 31. And Paul says this, What then shall we, resp- what then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can possibly be against us? Now, as you read those words, I hope that as you read those words, you have this feeling, you can sense Paul's confidence. You can get a sense that in order for you to pen those words, you must be experiencing some sort of joy and thankfulness in your life, as Paul was doing in those moments. Because these feelings emerge, as we see from the phrase, these things. And these things that Paul's talking about are the realities and the blessings of the new life that he has experienced in his relationship with Jesus Christ. And we're going to unpack those. But before we unpack those, I think it's worth considering how Paul arrived at this place of incredible confidence and thanksgiving. And the reason I want to unpack that is because I hope and I pray and I believe that there are many people here who can find themselves with an ability to relate to these words today. I honestly pray and I hope that you can find yourself in that sense of confidence and thankfulness that Paul has. But I also know that there are others here who may struggle to share Paul's confidence in these words. Maybe you're going through a difficult time this Thanksgiving. Just because this day in October rolls around doesn't mean things are great. And maybe you're going through a tough time and so you have a hard time relating to these words. Or maybe you're here today and you're just not totally sure as you still ask questions and kind of journey with Jesus. You're not sure of your belief in Jesus and therefore the confidence in these words. You know, if you find yourself in that spot today, I'm glad that you're here. We genuinely are glad that you're here with us today. And we hope that you will find West Meadows to be a safe place, a welcoming place where you can ask those questions and where you can journey with us towards a greater understanding of the difference that Jesus can make in a person's life. And if you're in that place today, I want you to know something else. I want you to know that you are in good company because there was a time in Paul's life, well before he wrote these words, where he was very far himself from belief in Jesus and belief in the words and the sentiments of this verse. You see, he was back in a time in his life when he wasn't known as Paul. He was was known by an alias. Catch this, it's hard to follow. Paul was known as Saul. I know, he put a lot of work into that alias. It was was, was hard to know who he was. Back in a time when Paul was known as, as Saul. And when he was known as Saul, he was a Pharisee. 
who is leading persecution against the name of Jesus Christ, against anything to do with Jesus of Nazareth. He was leading persecution against especially followers of Jesus Christ who are known as followers of this movement called the Way. And even the, this, just the name Saul would strike fear into people because he was known as one who would, who would harass you who would even imprison you. And he was one who had even overseen executions of those who were followers of the way. And we read a bit about this in, in Acts chapter 9, verses 1 and 2, where it says that Saul breathed murderous threats against the disciples. He breathed murderous threats against them. He was persecuting them. He was harassing them. He was imprisoning them. He was even overseeing their executions. Throughout the entire region to the point where he went to the high priest in Jerusalem and he got a letter that gave him permission to go to a place called Damascus, a five-day journey away, to go to a place called Damascus where he was going to arrest followers of the way and bring them back to Jerusalem so that they could feel the full crush of that persecution. And as Paul and his entourage are heading towards Damascus, they're almost there and all of a sudden there's this brilliant bright light, brighter than the sun, brighter than staring at the sun. This light comes and just envelops them, blazes around them, and knocks them to the ground. And as they lay there stunned, a voice from the light comes that all of them heard, but only Saul understood. And this voice said to Saul, 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 why are you persecuting me? It's interesting in this moment, as Paul is, is knocked to the ground, kneeling there with his face to the ground, this bright light around him, this voice saying, why are you persecuting me? It's interesting in this moment that, that Saul, who is this teacher of the law, this one who was supposed to be the expert in all things about God and relating to God and relationships with God, it, he has this belief in God. It's interesting that as he's kneeled to the ground, knocked to the ground by this light, and this voice says, why are you persecuting me? It's interesting that his response is his very first question. The first question Paul asks, who are you, Lord? This man who's this teacher of the law, the expert in all things God, is on the ground going, who are you, Lord? Who are you, Lord? I just want to pause for a second because this question is, I believe, the most important question any person will ever ask. This question is the most important question anyone ever asks. This question is the starting point for Paul. And this question is a starting point for every single person here as well. Who are you, Lord? Who are you, Lord? It's a question of seeking, of seeking to know. It's a question of desire. I need to know. I, there's something missing in my life that I need to fill this void with. Who are you, Lord? Where are you, Lord? Are you real, Lord? What, who are you? It's a question that invites an answer. And Jesus indeed does respond. He responds by saying, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Can you imagine the terror that would have filled Saul's heart in that moment? Here, this man who hated Jesus... He hated and persecuted the followers of Jesus. After all that he had done, he is in this moment of immediate awareness that Jesus is alive. In this inescapable truth that all that he had heard and all that he had been pushing back against is indeed true. Oh man, I'm done for. Would have been his thought in that moment. Because he knew the name of Jesus 
He now knew the voice of Jesus, but folks, he did not yet know the mercy and the goodness of Jesus that he was about to. Because Jesus' response to him is this. Jesus tells him, stand up. I want you to continue your trip into Damascus. And when you get there, you will then be told what I'm assigning you to do. And when he gets to Damascus, he meets this man that God had ordained, this encounter where he would meet a man named Ananias. And Ananias was a follower, a devout follower of Jesus who would come to him and he would lay hands upon him. And, and in that moment, Saul would receive his sight again. And in his belief of all these events that were happening, not only did he receive his sight, but he received salvation. He received the gift of the Holy Spirit. And it says Ananias took Saul out and baptized him and brought him into fellowship with the disciples. This conversion experience that happened for Saul. And after he was brought into fellowship with the disciples, he was then given this commission This mission to go into all the world, to go tell the world about Jesus Christ, to tell people to quit living in darkness and to live in the light, to stop living for Satan and live for God and to experience the forgiveness of sins. And Saul could now count himself among those who give thanks to the Lord for he is good. Saul could now count himself among those who would tell of the story of redemption to the world around them, a story of mercy. Because God could have passed sentence on him in that moment, and nobody would have been at least a bit shocked or surprised. God could have passed sentence, but he instead showed mercy, where he chose to not define Saul by his past mistakes, but out of grace. Instead, Paul, Saul experienced the favor of God that he did not deserve, but he was granted that grace out of love, love which is a defining characteristic of God. That is the motivation behind why God sent his one and only son into the world because he loved the world, wanted to save the world, that all who would believe in him would be saved through him. That all who believe in him and his sacrifice on our behalf upon the cross could experience new life with him, which is the truth that Paul now experienced and was sent into the world to share with all others. Saul's first question was, who are you, Lord? And in response to that question, he had his first taste of God's mercy and grace and love and truth. And that set him on a path. A path that would eventually arrive at a place of confidence and joy and thankfulness where he would one day be able to declare the words, what then shall we say about these things? If God is for us, who possibly could be against us? Do you know what people still have these life-changing events with Jesus today? Do you know what? They do. Sometimes they are dramatic in fashion, kind of like, like, like Saul's story, but other times they're a little more gradual. Not, not as dramatic as a little more gradual. And so I, I pause here to kind of invite you to consider, what about your story? Like when you think about your story is, you know, matter how, how long or, or far or, or how short or how much time you have been journeying towards or with Jesus, what, what, what has that story been like as you consider it, as, as it begins to evolve? Maybe... Maybe your story is similar to some of the people I've journeyed with over the years I've been a pastor where, where I remember one person who was one step away from taking their lives, just taking their life out of, out of depression and sorrow and just giving up. And then they encountered Jesus and they had this new passion for life that emerged instantaneously. People I've met who have a marriage that they think is over. And they go off and they find somebody else, but then they realize they have this moment of conviction and they surrender their lives and they confess to their spouse and, and by God's grace alone, healing has come back into a home. 
people I've seen who were instantly healed of addictions, these amazing dramatic moments where, where, where leading up to this moment of, of accepting Christ in their lives, they, they were smoking or drinking or drugs or pornography, whatever it may be, but the moment that Christ comes in, never again do they touch it. Or maybe your story is a little more gradual. Uh, you know, people who I've walked with that are a little more methodical. This kind of gradual understanding of the truth of Jesus that is the journey that kind of defines yours a bit. I remember a guy named Justin who came to my office one day and was just hungry for knowledge. And he started borrowing books. He would borrow two or three books a week. And he would devour them. And he'd come back and drop them off, take another couple, take those back, and they take another couple. And one day he came in and he's like, I believe, I need to be baptized. <laughs> it was this gradual progression through knowledge and through reading. Or another guy that I went golfing with once, and I wanted to hear his story, and he talked about how he researched all the major religions of the world, and then he, he went and tried kind of the, the, the top four. But the end result was, you know what, through all this whole process, there was only one, only Christianity could stand up to the truth test. And only one gave me the experience I was looking for. Your story maybe fit one of those or somewhere in between from the dramatic to the gradual. Whatever your story is, I know this about it. It will, number one, be as unique to you as you are. God's pursuit of you will be as unique as you are. But I also know that it will follow some similar patterns. It will begin with you asking a question where you're curious about God. Maybe as a child at Sunday school or maybe as a youth who are feeling a little bit lost or as an adult who is wondering, isn't there more to life than this? Whatever it may be, this event leads you to some form of Saul's first question. Lord, who are you? Where are you? And when we ask that question, if you haven't ever asked that question today, maybe today is the day you start asking that question. Because when we ask that question, we then find that Jesus begins to reveal himself, or he opens our eyes to see where he has already been revealing himself to us, through the events and through the people. And maybe through an alpha course, you came to examine some of these things. To the point where you move from curiosity being captivated by the grace, truth, and love of Jesus Christ. And then this life-changing moment happens where it takes place in your life and you start asking a different question. You start asking the question, Lord, what do you want me to do? Because this passion demands expression. And you enter into the season of being more committed from curious to captivated to committed where you continually grow in your knowledge and your love and your awareness of Jesus in your life, and you're gradually shaped into the image of Christ. And in that journey, you have these opportunities to have this ever-deepening experience of Jesus in your life, and your question then again changes to, how can I experience more of you, Jesus? From who are you to what do you want me to do to how can I have more of you? And then you find yourself at a point, I pray one day, where that demanding of expression leads you to a point of cultivation from curious to captivated to committed to cultivating where you begin to invest in the spiritual life of others. Maybe it's a child in your home and you're like, now I need to get serious with God because I have this child I need to care for and I need to raise up in the ways of the Lord. Maybe it's a grandchild. Maybe it's a family member or a coworker, whoever that may be, the question again changes to who else can I tell? Who else can I tell about the goodness of God that leads me to such incredible thanksgiving? You see, while these steps and the events along the way will be as beautifully unique as each and every single one of us, they do go through similar stages. They go through these similar stages of, of, of curious to captivated to committed to cultivating. And as we go through this journey, as, as Saul, for the conversion of Saul to the confidence of Paul, went through these stages 
that is the reason that he gives thanks to God. That is the reason he has a story to tell. Because it is a story of mercy and grace and love and truth of Jesus Christ that he himself has personally experienced. And when we turn to Romans 8, that's kind of what he's talking about. In Romans 8, he's talking about the things that Paul has this incredible confidence in. These things that he has this abounding thankfulness that he's speaking of. And, and you can read through Romans 8 on your own perhaps later today to get a, to get a full sense of it. Let me give you a couple of examples of what he highlights in Romans 8. These things of which he has such incredible confidence and joy for. Right at the very beginning in verse 1, he has confidence in the fact that there is no condemnation now for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is no condemnation. When I, when I read this verse, I get this image in my mind of, of a person who's walking through life with this massively heavy backpack. And, and, and they can't take it off. And it doesn't matter if they're walking up a hard hill or if they're going down into a dark valley. They have to wear this backpack, and it is tiring. And there is no relief. And the backpack keeps getting more and more full from the burdens of life and from the shame and the guilt of sins, of wrongs committed against other people. And it just keeps getting heavier and harder to walk through life. And eventually, as they walk along their path with their head down, their eyes catch a glimpse of a cross. As they pause at the cross for a moment, Jesus is there and he says, can I take that from you? Let me help you take that off. Because you were never meant to bear that beyond the cross. You can leave it here at the foot of the cross with me. And can you imagine as, as they take the straps off and it just falls to the ground. And for the first time they straighten up. This incredible relief and freedom and hope and thanksgiving that is theirs for the first time as they place it at the foot of the cross. And in that moment of faith, as they accept the grace and the goodness of God for their sins, we read further in Romans 8 and verse 15, it says that they become sons and daughters of God. They are adopted into the family of God and can call God Abba, Father. Because he has freed them from those sins and given them a new identity, a new future, a new hope, and a new freedom. They are sons and daughters of the living God. And this is such an incredibly striking concept. It's this, this idea that we can be sons and daughters of the living God is such an amazing idea that we can call God the creator of the entire universe. That we can call him Abba, Father. We can call him Daddy. This term of, of connection and intimacy and familiarity. You know, I have three children. There are three children who can call me dad. And as a family grows and, and through marriage and whatnot, there will be others who come into the family who will call me dad. And I've discovered the awesome privilege of having one call me granddad. But that's a unique title. That, that is, that's an exclusive title that happens for those who are in the family who are able to use that, who can share my name, which gives a degree of identity to them. It, it, it gives a sense of shared values and shared traditions and, and promises for the future. It gives them certain rights of relationship where they have a key to my house and they have a seat at my table. When one of these who can call me dad or call me granddad wants to talk, I'm there to listen. 
When they, uh, when they need help, I will drop everything to come to their assistance. When they are in need, I want to give them what they're in need of in a unique and special way that nobody else outside that relationship will ever experience from me. I was thinking about this this past this Friday when I was golfing with my son Josh and how awesome it was just, you know, father and son out in the golf and t- talking and sharing this time together and it was, it was a really nice time. And we got to the last hole and we're down to the final stroke. I, was, I had one more, one more hole to knock in as my ball was on the 18th green and the score was tied and I was lined up for a birdie putt. And Josh knew if I got this birdie putt, I was going to win and he really wanted to win. And I stood over the ball and I thought to myself, it's my son. Like, I should miss it on purpose. Just because just it'll make him happy, right? I'll miss it on purpose and we'll be tired. Or, or yet I'll, I'll overshoot it and then I'll miss the comeback and he'll win. I should give that to my son. He really wants that. I sunk the birdie. <laughs> Still the champ. But... <laughs> But I mention that because if I know how to give good gifts to my son, sometimes I fail at that, but, but if I know how to give good gifts to my son, if I, if I want to give good gifts to my son, how much more so our Heavenly Father, as it says in Scripture, how much more so our Heavenly Father, whom we can call out to and call Dad, we can come to in times of need, we can come to in times of, of trouble, we can come to in times of praise and thanksgiving. He has given us keys to his kingdom. He has given us a right to sit at his table. He has given us access and freedom. This is an incredible promise, folks, that we have sonship and we can be sons and daughters of the living God. Amen? Amen. It's amazing. It's amazing. Oh. And here's the thing. It's not because of who we are. It's not because of anything that we've done or or anything we've earned, but it's simply because we belong to Abba Father. And because we're sons and daughters of the living God, a third thing that Paul mentions in Romans 8, he says that he is with us in spirit. The spirit of God is with us to help us in our times of weakness, to work all things to the good according to God's will. Sometimes we overlook the power of this one. The power that God's spirit dwells, not just with us, but within us. And his Holy Spirit is with us in our times of weakness. That that means in the times when life tears us down, when there's troubles, he's there to comfort us. In times when our our spirit may be burdened or temptation begins to overwhelm us like a wave that wants to take us, he's there to convict us and, and guide us. It means in those times we don't know which way to go, we're at those forks in the road of life. In which direction do I go? I need help to decide, Lord. He will give us that incredible counsel we need. But sometimes we forget that he's with us. We forget the power and the presence of his spirit here with us. But that's why Jesus said it's so much better for me to go away. He said this to his disciples. It's better for me to go away. They had no idea what he was talking about. How could it be better than having you right here, Jesus? He said, but if I go away, I can send you my spirit, and he will dwell with every single person. He will dwell with each son and daughter of the living God who chose to drop their sins, their bag at the cross, who chose to give themselves over to new life in Jesus and become sons and daughters of the Heavenly Father. And they continue that journey with Jesus, being shaped into his image gradually every day through each experience, being shaped into his image until the one day when we stand in glory and we can stare him in the face. You talk about a thanksgiving. Talk about Thanksgiving Day we'll have on that day. These are just a sample of these things that Paul has experienced, that each of us can experience too.
that leads us to this place of confidence and thankfulness. And so folks, this Thanksgiving, I pray that these things will make your list. Your list of things that you are thankful for. But I also know that sometimes our hearts respond to a verse like this with hesitation. Because as I mentioned at the beginning, sometimes we go through seasons where it does seem like there is an awful lot that's up against me. You know, the bills keep coming in and Christmas is just around the corner. I turn on the news and there's this, my, my heart is immediately heavy with turmoil and fear for the world and for our nation. We just get the results of different tests, health concerns that are being tested and we're waiting for it here. And, and, and yeah, it seems like there are health issues that are against me, Pastor Mark. I have a friend that's turning a cold shoulder to me right now, and it seems like they're against me. Satan's temptations seem to be ramping up, and I'm not winning the battles. And then to top it all off, you sit down at Thanksgiving dinner, and you have the turkey, and you have the potatoes, and then you look, and somebody put raisins in the stuffing. <laughs> You're like, they're against me. What can I do? God, are you really for me? Look at the stuffing. It's an inside joke, if you now, maybe you think to yourself, Paul, did he live in the real world? Did he live in a world where he really experienced these things? Or is he in some sort of plastic, ethereal, peaceful bubble? Well, I assure you he faced troubles, and I assure you he had temptations, and he had persecutions, and beyond most of us. 2 Corinthians, excuse me, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, he talks about how repeatedly he was flogged and whipped and stoned and robbed and shipwrecked and imprisoned. That multiple times in his life, he went hungry, thirsty, and naked. He was tempted, and he was rejected. And he was on the verge of death more than once. He knew trouble. However, he also came to know Jesus Christ as the all-encompassing passion of his life. And that is why, while he was even sitting in a prison, when he writes the letters of Philippians, he can say this in Philippians chapter 3. He can say, everything is worthless compared to the value, the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I count all else as loss. I count it all as garbage. That I should simply gain, I should simply retain, I should simply be defined and know and have my Christ Jesus. And so when Paul says, if God is for us, who can be against us? He's not oblivious to the challenges of this world. He's simply saying, on one hand, we have these worldly, temporary burdens and struggles, which are real, and they are hard, and they are difficult. But we do not walk through them alone. And the most amazing thing is he's comparing these earthly things to the reality of the Almighty God. That while people and temptations and events may come against us, they cannot steal these things that God has given us. That there is nothing of this world that can overpower God's love for us. That nothing can snatch us out of his hand. Nothing can steal us from a place in his family. Nothing can take away our eternal destiny and the hope and the glory that we will stand with him one day. Nothing in this world can take that from us. And that is why he declares us to be victors in Jesus Christ at the end of Romans 8 when he says this in verse 37. He says, in all these things we are more than conquerors. For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither the heights nor the depths, nor anything else in all of creation will ever, will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is ours in Christ Jesus our Lord. And because of that, no matter what season of spiritual growth you may be in, in your journey with Christ, 
No matter what season of victory or struggle you may find yourself in this Thanksgiving, you can be thankful in the Lord. And you can count it as blessings that we have Jesus Christ and that nothing can take that from us. And as the redeemed people of the Lord share their story and as the church throughout time has always says, why can we say that? Because he is good. And the church responds all the time. And all the time, good. Because God is good. And all the time, let's remember that this Thanksgiving. Amen. Not only do we have a chance to reflect upon the goodness of God, we actually get to visually witness and participate in that today. Because we have the opportunity to watch four young people profess their faith to Jesus Christ in the waters of baptism. Isn't that awesome? To you on this Thanksgiving day? It's such a privilege to, to do this, and, and these, are, these are people that Thena has been journeying with. And not only is that an incredible thing, but there's an extra, a little extra special something today. You see, two of these people are going to be baptized by their grandfather today. And what a joy it is. I know it's a joy in my life when I had the chance to baptize my children. I look forward to the day I can baptize their family. And so this, this grandfather we speak of, his name is Bob. He, uh, he and his wife have been watching West Meadows at Home for a number of years. And his, his children, Michael and Randy Schapansky, have been with us in person here for the last couple of years. And I've, I've personally known Bob for probably 15 years. He was a former pastor. He was a, an associate district coach with the BGC conference I used to be a part of. And so, so Bob and I have pastored and, and fellowshiped and worked together for many, many years. And I counted an absolute honor to invite him to join us today and to, uh, to join us in the baptism tank. And Thena, I'm going to pass it off to you now. All right. Thanks. Great. Well, happy Thanksgiving, everyone. And so very thankful.